One of our core values here at Harvest is that we're fluid. <laughs> we have to be flexible because you never know what's going on, especially on days like today where we're celebrating and, and we're, we're throwing a spiritual monkey wrench into everything. But it's going to be good, and I'm glad you're here. I want you to have a great time with us. We're going to be talking about baptism today. Amen. I, uh, my wife read to me the other day about a church that was bragging about having 25 baptized in the Spirit. Well, praise God, I'm, I'm thankful we got some here this morning that are being baptized in Jesus Christ. There's a difference. There's a lot of difference, okay? And uh, I won't go into all that, but I'm going to do some other things that I think will clear, clarify a lot for us. We're very blessed to have several who have asked to follow the Lord in believer's baptism this morning. And when I use the term believer's baptism, I want you to understand that that is true biblical baptism. And when I get through today, I, I hope you will understand that a little bit better. <clears throat> when you study the book of Acts, you see that there are several people that make decisions to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and when you read through their account, what you find is that they are forgiven of their sin. They are saved from their sinful self. They are made right with God. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And they are baptized. And they become a part of a local fellowship, which we would call a church or a body of believers. But I want you to also understand that baptism in no way saves anybody. Instead, their, their baptism was an outward expression of an inward transformation that had already taken place in each of their lives. In so many ways, their baptism was a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. It, it followed their salvation. And with the exception of the day of Pentecost, most of the people who were saved accepted Christ in an almost private setting where there was a real small crowd, uh, but then they, were, they demonstrated their faith by being baptized in a public setting where there was a huge crowd. And there's a big difference. I would say to you that baptism is, is very important to the Christian. <clears throat> it is one of the ordinances of the church. But it is not necessary it is not a necessary requirement in order for you to get into heaven. Now, that, that bothers some people when I say that. But if you remember the repentant thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus, he was never, ever baptized. He couldn't get baptized. He was kind of tied up at the moment. He was nailed to a cross. There was absolutely no way that he could submit to believer's baptism. I do personally believe, though, had he survived that ordeal and lived, he would have done like all the other Christians, all the other new believers, he would have submitted to believers' baptism, and he would have been baptized. Now, I'm sure that most of you in this room have heard that our Christian roots come out of Judaism. Amen? That's why we support and encourage you know, praying for the Jewish people. Our, our, our roots come out of Judaism. However, the Jews never practiced baptism. 
Now, you might find that strange, but they never did. So how did the practice of believer's baptism get started? I'm glad you asked that question. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4, he writes that the messenger, and he's speaking about the person that Isaiah spoke about in his prophecy some 800 years before this time. This messenger was John the Baptist. Now, he didn't say John the carpenter. If he said John the carpenter, he would have been a carpenter, right? But he said John the Baptist. Why? Because he was baptizing. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they have turned from their sins and turned to God uh, to be forgiven. When you read John's gospel, you find in the 24th verse of the first chapter that there was a group of Pharisees that were sent to talk to John the Baptist because they were disturbed about what he was doing. Again, it was not something that Jewish people did. But they came to him and they said, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, then what right do you have to baptize? Because John was busy. I mean, he was preaching and he was baptizing and, and John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in, in the crowd is someone that you do not know who will soon begin his ministry. I am not even worthy to be a slave. And he says, this incident took place at Bethany, which was a village east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. So the very first person we find in Scripture baptizing anybody is John the Baptist. Uh, he was called and he was sent by God to do just that, to preach and to baptize. And his message was simple and it was to the point. I mean, he, he, he was kind of one of those turn or burn preachers, you know. He preached, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The immediate effect of John's preaching, his ministry uh, was pretty dramatic. And when you look at scripture, you find that people were coming from all over the great city of Jerusalem. They were... Uh, they were coming from considerable distances to hear John preach. He wasn't in a metropolitan city where it was a good place to go. He's out in the wilderness. It was just the opposite. Not, not an easy place to get to. They came from all over Judea, from all over southern Palestine. They came from both sides of the Jordan River. And in Matthew 3, verse 5, it says, People from Jerusalem and from every section of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Matthew tells us later in his gospel that these people were coming because they considered John to be a prophet. They considered him to be a man of God. And, and those were in short supply during this time for over... 400 years heaven had been silent God had not sent a word from heaven because you see the Jewish people in rebellion had killed all the prophets that God had sent they wiped them out and so you know John now comes on the scene speaking for God and the Jewish people were hungry to hear a word from God he his message was simple and it was to the point and his ministry was specific and it was clear he came preaching and baptizing and pointing to the Lamb of God. He came to help people prepare. And that's a very important word. 
to prepare their hearts to meet the Messiah. <clears throat> That's what it says. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, I did some reading because I wanted to make sure that I was on point with this and I read quite a few different authors. But John MacArthur has some interesting words to say about what's going on here. He says that these Jews submitted to being baptized was more than a little significant because that was not a traditional Jewish ceremony. It was completely different from the Old Testament Levitical washings, which consisted of washing hands, washing feet, and washing the head. Jews just didn't baptize, not the way we do today. Then there was this other group of people. And, and I've actually been to this location. I've been to Qumran. I've been to this ancient city of a breakaway group of Jews. And uh, they were a part of the Qumran community. They lived way down by the Dead Sea. They were very zealous and they were very religious. Many of them were priests who viewed the worship in Jerusalem's temple as being corrupt. So... They refused to be a part of that temple sacrificial system and they moved away, set up their own community, did their own thing. Now, they did, however, practice a type of ceremonial washing that more nearly resembled what we would call baptism. I've actually seen one of their worship centers where it's been uh, excavated and, and there's, there is in the back of their worship center a little pool with some steps going down in it or a little box and, and when I asked our guide what that was, he said, that's a baptistry. That's a baptistry. That's where they baptize people. And I went, wow. Because there's no water. And, and, and you know, it's easy for us to fill up the water in the baptistry. Uh, for us, it's not a problem. But for them, they had to go sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 miles with a water skin or a water jar and fill it up and keep toting it back till they got enough water in that baptistry to baptize them. You're talking about dedication and commitment. But their baptism was, was suspicious. It was, it was a problem, I think, for us because it actually both the Levitical and the Essenes washings, and we, we use that term washings, uh, the problem was they were repeated over and over again. Sometimes the Essenes would do it every hour. They would go in and they would dip themselves under the water because they felt like they needed to to be clean and right with God. Well, the baptism that John performed was very different, very different. When people repented of their sin and they came to John, John would take them out into the Jordan River and he'd baptize them one time and one time only, not multiple times. It was not a washing. It was a baptism that meant something. Well, this is interesting to me. When I began to study this, it was interesting in that the only one-time washing of any kind that the Jews were familiar with was that which was required by all Gentiles who were becoming a part of the Jewish community. In other words, if a, if a Gentile wanted to become Jewish, he had to go through this one-time washing, and uh, this particular act was considered to be a rite of passage for all outsiders coming into the true faith of Judaism. Well, again... MacArthur has a comment about that and he says a Jew who submitted to such a right to, to baptism demonstrated in effect that he was an outsider 
who sought entrance into the people of God, which was an amazing admission for a Jew. <laughs> Man, that was earth-shaking. He said that... Uh, Members of God's chosen race, descendants of Abraham, heirs of the covenant of Moses, they came to John to be baptized just like a Gentile would. And then he goes on to write these words. He says, that act symbolized before the world that they realized that their national and racial descent and even their calling as, uh, calling as God's chosen and covenant people, they realized that it could not save them. They had to repent. They had to forsake sin. And they had to trust in the Lord for salvation, just like everybody else. Now, repentance is an interesting word. It, it is uh, an act of acknowledging one's sinfulness. When I repent, then I, I'm acknowledging that I'm a sinner. It is agreeing with God about what sin is. It's looking at the list that God uh, gives us in Scripture where God points out this is sin, it's us agreeing, yes, that is sin, and that is my problem. It is also the admission of one's personal guilt. I'm guilty before God. Repentance is also a turning away of sin from your sins and a turning to God. You know, if you're walking in a direction that's taking you to hell, when you repent, you turn around and walk in the opposite direction in a direction that leads you to heaven. Amen? That, that's what repentance is. Well, everyone that John baptized confessed their sins publicly. In other words, they owned their sin. I did it. And they desired to be right with God. And this encounter with John helped them to get ready to meet the one who could make them right with God. This is all about readiness. But I want you to listen and please don't miss this. Not a single person that John baptized was saved. Not a single person. They were not saved before he baptized them and they certainly were not saved after he baptized them. You go, but Brother Randy, why? Well, it's real simple. No act of baptism saves anybody. God never intended to save anyone through baptism. The ceremonial washings of both the Levitical priests and the Essenes saved no one. The Jewish requirement for Gentiles to be baptized as converts to Judaism never saved a single person. And none of the people that John baptized were saved when he brought them up out of the water. Not a single one of them. Not a one. Again, MacArthur comments with these words. He says, we know that from subsequent accounts in the Gospels that many of those acts of repentance must have been superficial and hypocritical because John soon lost much of his following just as Jesus would eventually lose most of his popularity. But the impact of John's ministry on the Jewish people was profound and it was unforgettable. Why? Because the way of the king had been announced to them and they had no excuse for not being ready for his coming. No excuse. Key word there is ready again. Now, I want to go back and read again something I've already read to you because it's important. It's, it's what he said, what, what John Maxwell or John MacArthur said when he said this. He said, the acts or this baptism, 
symbolized before the world that they realize that their national and racial descent and even their calling as God's chosen and covenant people could not save them. They had to repent. They had to forsake their sin and trust in the Lord for salvation. Okay? Having said that, I want us to go back and read Matthew 3 again and let's see what was going on here. Matthew 3 verse 5 says the people from Jerusalem and from every section of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley they went out to the wilderness to hear him preach. Notice verse 6. And when they confessed their sin John baptized them in the Jordan River. Can I ask you what's missing that's absolutely necessary for salvation? What's missing here? Jesus. Jesus. They confessed their sin, but they did not trust in Jesus because Jesus is not even talked about here. You've got to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior in order for you to be saved. It's an absolute necessity. Folks, John's baptism was not about believers' baptism. It was never meant to be. John's baptism fell short of believers' baptism. His followers had no problem repenting and publicly confessing their sin. But John's message, if you study it, never mentioned that the people needed to trust Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior. His message was preparatory. It was to get them ready to hear the truth. His baptism only prepared them to meet Jesus. We're not told that a single one of them put their faith in Jesus to make things right between them and God. And besides that, at this point, Jesus had not even gone to the cross to die for the sins of the world. He had not paid our sin debt at this point. Jesus had not paid the costly price of mine and your salvation. The forgiveness that was desperately needed had not yet been bought and paid for. And that is important. Listen, if you leave Jesus out of the spiritual equation, all you have is work salvation and all you get is wet. That's it. When you read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says you have been saved by grace through believing. That word in the Greek means trusting, by trusting in Jesus Christ. You did not save yourself, Paul says. It was a gift from God. It was not the result of your own efforts. So you cannot brag about it. You know, baptism is something that you can choose to do or not choose to do. It doesn't affect your salvation. It is a human effort on your part, and it's a human effort on the person who's baptizing you. Water baptism, like we're going to talk about today, it, it, for us, it means more because it's believer's baptism, but for them back then, it was just water baptism, and it saved nobody. Jesus is who saves, and what he did on the cross was sufficient, and this is a beautiful part. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to save anyone and everyone, no matter where you've lived, no matter what, what part of uh, a group of people you come from, no matter what language you speak, no matter what color your skin is, what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to save anybody and everybody. Amen? So I'm telling you here today that Jesus can save you no matter who you are. He can clean you up, warts and all. And he can make you right with the Father above. 
The question is, will you let him do that? Me baptizing you won't save you. The people that are going to be baptized today are te giving testimony of their salvation. And that is very important. Only those who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior are truly saved. Now, Scripture says only a fool would not want to go to heaven. Sadly, most people don't even know how to get there. Some people are taught that because they've been baptized as infants that they're good to go. And others believe that all they have to do is join the church and be baptized and they get their ticket to heaven punched. What's even worse is that most of the world believes that heaven is automatic when you die. Everybody in Hollywood believes they're going to go to heaven when they die. You've heard it like I've heard it. But that's not what Paul says. Look with me at Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And this is important. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Notice he didn't say Jesus is Savior. He said Jesus is Lord. You have to be willing to come under the Lordship of Christ. If you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who believes, that word is trust in him, uh, will not be disappointed. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. In other words, they both have to come the same way. They all have the same Lord. Jesus died for all of us who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, you, you can know and understand that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. You can have that information in your head. But if you do not call on Jesus and invite him to be your Lord and Savior, then you remain lost and separated from God. Now, some, sometimes people don't make that call out of ignorance. But when you read Romans chapter 1, he says that's no excuse. And there's sometimes, uh, sometimes that, that is, uh, decision is not made out of defiance, but that's foolishness. Jesus in John chapter 3 says God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty but to save the world through him. Verse 18 he says people who trust, who believe in Jesus are not judged guilty. I want to be in that line. I don't want to have to stand before God and give account for everything I've ever done. Any of y'all want to get in that line? That's not a good line to be in. I want to be forgiven, and I am because I have faith in Christ. He says, those who do not believe have already been judged guilty because they have not believed in God's one and only Son. Acts 4.12, Peter says, Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power 
in the world that has been given to save people, he says we must be saved through him, through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter understood that truth. He understood it. He believed it. He preached it. And, and, and I want to read for you a portion of the very first sermon that Peter ever preached. And I want to put this in the proper context because I want you to understand this. I want you to keep in mind that Peter is preaching in Jerusalem to a huge crowd of thousands of people, many of which I believe may have been baptized by John the Baptist. They're there because they are seekers and they're wanting to know more. And this is just a portion of Peter's sermon picking up in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. Peter standing before them said, Dear brothers, think about this. He says David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words that I have quoted, for he died and he was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on David's throne as the Messiah. All of Jerusalem was looking for the Messiah. They, they longed for him. They were waiting for him. They were hoping for him. They were praying for him. Verse 31 said, David was looking into the future and predicting the Messiah's resurrection. Well, oh, wait a minute. David said Messiah's going to be resurrected. In order to be resurrected, you have to die. And there was no Jew or the vast majority of Jews that did not believe that Messiah would ever die. They thought he was going to come into Jerusalem riding a white horse with a massive army behind him to deliver them from the Roman oppression and establish them as the number one nation in the world. But God's plan for the Messiah was very different. They wanted him to be a warrior and Jesus sent him to be the Lamb of God. Notice again, he goes on to say, he was saying that the Messiah would not be left among the dead and that his body would not rot in the grave. In verse 32, Peter goes on to say this prophecy was speaking of Jesus whom God raised from the dead and we, and I'm sure he did like this and he motioned to all the disciples, he said we are witnesses of this. Now he sits on the throne of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and hear today, for David himself never ascended into heaven. And yet he said, the Lord has said to my Lord, sit in honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Now notice verse 36. He said, let it be clear. Clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. <laughs> and it says in verse 37 that Peter's words convicted them so deeply that they said to him and all the other apostles, Brothers, what in the world should we do now? And Peter says, Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, what you see here in these last few verses is Peter answering the question of what must we do 
he's telling them how to be saved and be made right with God. And he points out two things that are absolutely important. First of all, he says you have to repent of your sins. You cannot be saved unless there is repentance. Albert Barnes says false repentance dreads the consequence of sin. In other words, it dreads getting caught. But true repentance dreads sin itself. You see, true repentance hates sin for what it is because sin is an affront to God. True repentance is a decision to forsake your sin and to live for God, and God calls us to live in repentance Number two, he says, you also have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you look at the entire theme of Peter's sermon, it's all about accepting Jesus as God's promised Messiah. Again, he says, let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. The Apostle Paul clears things up and he puts a little bit more information in it in chapter 3 verse 24 when he said God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty he has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sin for God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin and to satisfy God's anger against us he said we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood sacrificing his life for us. That, that, that's how people are saved. It's by trusting in Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Now, once that salvation takes place, Scripture says every believer receives the Holy Spirit. It happens the moment a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus. It says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. If you do not, you are not a Christian. It's clearly pointed out in Scripture that, that way. And, and notice something else. As soon as possible, every new believer needs to be baptized through believer's baptism. And it says, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can forgive sin. Amen? The only one. And every new believer needs to identify with Jesus through baptism. Again, Dr. MacArthur says this. He said, Peter does not allow for any secret disciples. Baptism would mark a public break with Judaism and give identification with Jesus Christ. Such a drastic public act would, would help weed out any conversions which were not genuine. In sharp contrast to the many modern gospel presentations today, Peter made accepting Christ difficult, not easy. If you've been to Israel, you'll know there's not a lot of water over there. And uh, there are no, there, in Jesus' day, there was no running water in the houses. You couldn't turn on a spigot and get water. You had to take your water skin or your water jar, go to the spring or go to the pool, and get your water that you were going to need at your house. Well, wherever there was water, and there was only a few places you could gather it, everybody went. And you, you could only carry so much water at a time, so you may have to go three or four times a day. But you regularly visited that location where there was water. Well, in those same places is where everybody was baptized. So there was constantly a crowd at every spring or every pool, and wherever they were baptizing, you could not do it in private because hundreds, maybe thousands, saw you being baptized. 
and for a Jew to be baptized as a Christian was like being a Muslim today in a Muslim-run country and professing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know what happens to them when they do that? They cut their heads off. Well, you wouldn't get your head cut off by the Jews in this day, but you would be blackballed. You would be excommunicated from your family. Nobody spoke to you. The butcher wouldn't sell you meat. The baker wouldn't sell you bread. Your boss fired you. Your family wouldn't have anything to do with you. So you, you, you publicly profess Christ at a great cost. It would change your whole life. To walk with Jesus was not easy. It was not cheap. We've got it made today. It's not going to affect the people that are baptized today probably very much. They're not risking their lives to do this as many of the, the Jews who became Christians did in Jesus' day and, and afterwards. John was the first to baptize. But here's the truth. Every Everyone that John baptized who later put their trust in Jesus Christ had to be baptized all over again as a true believer. You go, Brother Randy, how do you know that? Well, can I show you some examples? Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And, and Donald was reminding me a while ago, he was telling me that this is in your Sunday school lesson today. I promise you I haven't read your Sunday school lesson. I never do that. Don't have a clue. But God gave me this scripture this week and and so I'm going to share it with you this morning, and then you'll study it a little bit more later on. Acts 18, 24 says, Meanwhile, there was a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. <clears throat> he had arrived, just arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the ways of the Lord, and he talked to others with great enthusiasm and accuracy about Jesus. He was he was a preacher. He was a bold witness for the Lord. However, he knew only about John's baptism. He didn't know the whole story. And it says, when Priscilla and Aquila, who were partners of Paul, when they heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside. Notice that. They took him aside. They didn't correct him right in the middle of the crowd. They took him aside and it says they explained the way of God more accurately. What were they doing? They were teaching him about believer's baptism. They were teaching him that you get baptized after you get saved, not before you get saved. And that was an important piece that they needed to know. I, I imagine, and we're not told this, but I'll take uh, spiritual preference here and say that I, I imagine that they encouraged him to submit to believer's baptism. Why? Because you have to practice what you preach before you preach it. And for him to preach the whole truth, then he would have had it to submit to believers' baptism, and I believe he did. Shortly after that, the Apostle Paul met some people who professed to be new believers. The Apostle Paul was meeting people. He was starting churches. He was traveling all over that part of the country. And as he would meet new believers, he would question them to make sure they had been taught correctly because Christianity was brand new. 
And because they didn't have the Bible and they didn't have internet and they couldn't just go to anybody and find out what a Christian was supposed to be and do. So Paul was checking them out and he, and he wanted to know if they had received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, again, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit should dwell in you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not a Christian. And he also wanted to know if they had been baptized. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 3, it says, So Paul asked them, What kind of baptism did you have? And they said, Well, it was the baptism that John taught. Got another problem here. And, and it says, Paul said, Well, John's baptism was a baptism of changed hearts and lives. They were getting ready to, to meet the Lord. It says he told the people to believe in the one who would come after him. And that's all he said. He said, somebody's coming after me that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And then Paul says here, and that one is Jesus. It says when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they weren't saved, they were saved before he baptized them, I can assure you. And uh, that's just the way Paul did things. He shared the gospel. People accepted Christ. And then he led people to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Well, praise the Lord, we've got several today that are going to be baptized. Amen? It's a good thing. Do you know that several years ago, half of our Southern Baptist churches didn't baptize one person in their church the whole year? It's a blessing, church, when God gives you people who are saved for you to baptize. And we're a very blessed church. The ones we're going to baptize today have all professed the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And as Christians, they have all received the Holy Spirit. And they're going to be uh, obedient to the Lord today by receiving believer's baptism, which we believe to be biblical baptism. Now, I want to do something before I go and prepare to do this. We, we have an opportunity today to give an invitation. And I'd like for you to just bow your heads with me for just a moment. Every head bowed, Brother Ronnie's going to come, some of the praise team. I want to propose two questions to everybody in this room today, two simple questions. Every head bowed, every eye closed. When the praise team gets up here, they're going to close their eyes because they're not going to be singing until I'm through. This is between you and me and God, and you answer these questions as God leads your heart to do so. Every head bowed, please. This is a very important time. I want to ask you this question. Do you need, do you need this morning to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you need to do that? You go, well, Brother Randy, I've been baptized. Well, was it believer's baptism? Did you invite Christ into your heart before? That is very important. Baptism is a testimony. It's an outward expression of an inward transformation that's already taken place. So do you need Jesus in your heart today? If you do, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Anybody here today need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Anybody? I stand in good company then. Well, let me ask you another question. Anybody here today need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? 
who is not scheduled to be baptized today? Anybody here has accepted Christ that needs to be baptized scripturally? I know there are a few here. All right. Father, I'm grateful that your word is true. God, you've given us an opportunity, Lord, to be obedient to you, to bear testimony of your work in our lives. I believe, Lord, your spirit is moving even as I speak in and through our lives today. Your desire is to bring us to a point where we walk out of here obedient, having done what we know to do. And once we hear truth, we're responsible to obey truth. And there's no excuse for not doing that. James says to know what we ought to do and not do it is sin. Lord, help us not to sin. Help us to joyfully obey and be glad we did it. Thank you so much. Lord, whatever decision anyone needs to make today, we're going to give them just a moment to do that. You're so grateful to give us second chances, third chances. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity today to respond to the work you're doing in our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand for just a moment. If there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to be down front for just a minute. Feel free to come. Please come.